Hey, good morning. If you're joining us here in the room or online, really glad that you are worshiping with us today at the Grove Church. I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. And I'm assuming, uh, based on a lot of your faces, that you got the word, the word got out, that we are asking people to start wearing masks again here um, in the building. And this is kind of a, a long, tortured journey for me. I think if you guys knew the internal thing that goes on anytime we have over the last 18 months as we tried to navigate these rules, I think you would rightly diagnose me as just being a little bit crazy. And um, it's just kind of weird. Like, I, I feel like, especially things that's controversial, like, like the Bible, like what the Bible teaches is controversial enough, right? About things that it says about Jesus, about salvation. Like, I don't, I'm not courting controversy. And it just frustrates me that things like this become controversial. And just and over these last couple of weeks, if things just kind of started to spike, I was like, I was just kind of just in my brain, like, what are we going to do? We, got, we, got, we feel like we need to do something. But like, I also have this, like, I want everything to make sense. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, I tell people about to wear a mask here, but then their kids aren't having to wear them at school. You go to Walmart, you don't have to wear. But over the last couple of weeks, like more and more places like Walmarts, public schools have said, hey, we can't require it by law, but we're encouraging people to do it. And I had crafted this really, really, this statement that I was going to have people look at. It's kind of like, hey, we're going to start having that policy too. Hey, I know by law, no one can mandate this, but we're going to ask people to do it because it's what people are recommending. I'd crafted it and boom, right, like right as I was about to send it, um, they hit my Twitter feed that a judge had blocked the mask ban that the legislature had passed. And then I was like, man, in the next 24 hours, I'm guessing Fayetteville's going to meet and... Um, Pass their own mask ordinance. And I was, the only thing I was wrong about is like it was three and a half hours later the city council was meeting. And I don't know if you've ever done this. I mean, it's pretty awesome on a Friday night. You're singing, hanging out on a Friday night and you're streaming a, a Fayetteville city council um, uh, meeting on YouTube. It's awesome. It's a great way to spend a Friday. And, um, you know, and so they, 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 they passed the ordinance saying that um, they that started to require masks in Fayetteville. And at that point, based on kind of our posture, what it's been over the last 18 months or so, um, the decision gets a little bit easier because it has been our desire to be seen as a part of this community that regardless of what we individually might think, that we want to be known as a place that supports our community. And so if, you know, when, the, when the state passed a mass mandate, when the city had a mass mandate, we were, in, we were in support of them as a partner in the community. And so that's the decision that we, that we came to and, 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 and we announced that uh, Saturday morning. And here's the thing that I know, and I've been around long enough to know this, there's kind of you know, a handful of different responses that we can have to this. And one is, you know, some, some people be like, finally, finally, you know, the city of Fayetteville and my, and my church has kind of caught up with what was obviously needed to be done. And then, you know, this, another group of people may respond to it like, man, are, are you kidding me? I can't believe we're doing this again. I can't believe and got all these reasons and it makes you frustrated, it makes you angry. And then probably m- most of us would probably, without controversy, we could probably all agree, well, actually, I'm just, I'm just exhausted and I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of the the back and forth, the, 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 the come and going, I'm, I'm tired of all the uncertainty. And here's the thing, I mean, if you're, if you're confused and you're frustrated, I mean, to me, that's just, you're just paying attention is what that means. This is a very confusing and, and frustrating season. And I want you to know that as your friend and as your pastor, I just want you to know that I see that. I see that frustration. I see it. I feel it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in that. 
But I just continue to encourage you to, in, 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 two, in two things. One is we are not going to be people who surrender to fear. I am not going to make any decisions because I, I am afraid that because my, because, because my, my, my world, my life has been shattered. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm not surrendering to fear because my trust and my hope is in something well beyond um, what's happening in this world. And my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in God. And I'm not going to live a life gripped by fear. In the same way, I'm not going to be, live a life that is gripped by anger where I, it is so important to me that you know that I think it is wrong that you are infringing on this thing about me. And especially, and this would have been fit, fit in really well last week, we were talking, um, the passage we were looking at in Matthew chapter 5 last week, Jesus says, give to anybody who asks of you. If they ask you to go one mile, you go two with them. And essentially says the way that we accommodate people when they ask things of us, be they fair or not, the way that we love people and accommodate people in that is one way that we distinguish ourselves as people who love Jesus. And so in a world that is desperate, that is broken, it is really, really, really important that God's people shine like a light. And we are not afraid. And we are kindly serving our community when they ask us to. And so, again, at the same time, I don't want you to hear me say that I don't see or understand your frustration or exhaustion. I'm just saying that it is very important that the world, when they look at us, they see kindness and they see hope. A hope that there is more than this. A hope in life uh, uh, that we can bring real life and light to a dark and hopeless place. So I just encourage you in that, both in continuing to be a part here. I don't want to surrender to any fear or frustration. I think our gathering together is incredibly important. And I hope that you will continue to come and be a part of this and connect with God's people and worship and teaching. And, and, and that in the way that we live our public lives, you want, I want you to have safe places to say all the angry things that you want. But at the same time, in the public lives that we lead, I want us to be demonstrating and showing the world the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So we are going to continue. We're going to continue to um, uh, in our series on the commands of Jesus. And some of the stuff that Jesus is talking about here, I feel like is going to weave in again very well with, um, with, 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 our, with our current situation, which is the power and the beauty of God's word. That, that, that Jesus can speak to a group of first century um, poor um, Isra Israelis that are living in the Middle East in occupied Rome, Roman government, that, that the words that he can speak to them 2,000 years ago can still be as powerful and relevant to us today. And so today we're going to be looking at one of the passages, there's many of these from Jesus, where he talks about prayer. And basically there's a lot of kind of promises, things where Jesus basically says, it seems like the equivalent of, you can basically ask God for anything and you'll get it. You ask for anything in my name, you'll get it. You have the faith of a mustard seed, this mountain will move. There's lots of these verses out there. And I think sometimes we struggle with, 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 with how to interact with them. And so as an exercise, I conducted a very non-scientific experiment because it was non-scientific because it was, it was three people total. And, and they're all my daughters. So this is not a scientific experiment at all. 
But I was thinking about this. I was thinking about like this, this passage that Je- this, this passage here, these, these words from Jesus are meant to inspire us to be people who will boldly come before God and ask him for things. Like I believe I'm gonna come to God and God, I want you, I want you to, to do this for me. And there's something that keeps us there's something that keeps us from doing that. And so I asked all my daughters, and I don't I mean most, 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 most couples are like this. You have, you have one that is perceived of by the kids as the fun one, and you have the one that is perceived of as the fun police. Like it is their job to police the fun. And it's, I mean, it's not fair, but I mean, in, in, in our relationship, I'm the fun one. Dad, dad, dad says yes, dad says yes. And it's always fun as the kids get older to watch them try to manipulate us like somehow I'm going to contradict mom in some way or, like, or, you're, or just watching them navigate. It's kind of, I'm going to start by, I got, you got to ask dad first and you got to, you got to come at it like this. I just, I just love watching it. It's a great, it's just great psychology experiment. But anyways, they know, I think by and large, that dad is the kind of person that will say yes. And so I asked them that. I asked them all that. I said, do you think when you ask dad for something that, that he's, he's most likely going to say yes? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll say yes. And I said, why, why is that? Why do you think that, that, that I'll say yes? And I don't know what I expected them to say, but the things that they said were just incredibly sweet and very touching to me as a dad, as they just talked about their perception of me as someone who is, wants them to be happy, that, 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 that is very interested in them and their, and their, and their pleasure and their happiness and that a servant and willing to accommodate them. It was, all, it, was all very, it was all very kind and sweet. And then I said, but there's sometimes I'm guessing that I ask you, that, that you think about something you want to ask me and you don't ask. What keeps you from asking? What keeps you from asking someone that you believe is inclined to say yes? What keeps you from, from asking? And I got several really interesting answers for this. One is they don't want to be seen as taking advantage of kindness. You know, you're just so not, I just don't want, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to be thought of as someone who is taking advantage of you. I was like, I feel like we should, I should only come to you with really important things, like not trivial things that I don't want to come to important. Like, like I don't want, I don't want to waste your time on small things. These are some of my favorite ones. I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to ask you for anything that if I ask and I say it, it's going to make me look bad. Right? I mean, you get that conceptually, right? Like if I have to ask you for this, this means that I failed in some way. Like I, I don't need you to know that I wasn't able to do this or that I messed up in this way. And for me to ask you to help to get out of this will uh, force me to suggest that how I, somehow I got in this place in the first place. Um, otherwise, I, I, don't, I don't want you to think that I don't have it together. Like it's really important that you think of me as someone who's, who's, who's got it all together, that, 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 I'm, that I'm doing good. And for me to t- ask for this will make you think less of me. And um, last one, this was something that Layla said this morning. It's like, you know, I just, Dad, I just know sometimes you got other ideas. You've got other plans than my plans. Like just even today, like I want to ask you to come early with you to church, but I know that you're preaching, so you leave super early and you need to be alone because you're preaching and so I, I knew, you know, Mimi, that's my mom, asked if you were preaching today and you said yes. And so I, I knew better than to ask. Now, the interesting thing about all of these is that they, I think they all make sense in the context of a parent to child relationship. 
But I think that we have translated some of this into our relationship with God. And it is some of these things that keep us from having a heart to say, I want to ask God for things. I don't want God um, to, to, to see that I'm messing up. I don't want God to think that somehow I can't handle it. I've got to present a face to God that says that I've got it all together. Or I don't want to bother God because God's got things more important going on than me. We say these things, we think like this, we talk like this, and, and, and in reality, we're, we're distancing ourselves from God who actually does not want any of that. Like, I don't want you to not ask because you think you have to have everything together. I don't want you because you think I've got something more important going on than hearing from you. And so some of these concerns, I think, are expressed, and, and, and this is kind of what Jesus is trying to get at here in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, and, um, and Jesus, talking about prayer, says this, starting in verse 7, Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I think it's really important here, a couple of things. First, I think too often when we come to a verse like this where Jesus seems to kind of have this open-ended idea, if you ask of God, he will give it to you. I think very often theologically, personally, our brain kind of goes to this idea of, well, does that mean I can get anything I want from God? Have I found some, some, some loophole, some trick where if I ask God, God has to give this to me? Our brain goes there, and, that's a, and it's a really important, I think, theological question for us to wrestle with. And one of the things that we've been doing, if you don't know this, is we have kind of have some supplemental teachings in a podcast called our Cultivate Podcast that comes out on Wednesday. I encourage you to find that on your podcast network, subscribe to that, and listen to these things. And that, and that particular idea is we're, we're addressing that, and I encourage you to listen to that. But honestly, I don't think that's really what Jesus is getting at here. And I think just even the fact that our brain goes there puts us in a bit of a different category than the people Jesus was talking to. Because I think we think of ourselves, we just have a different view of ourselves as really entitled, as uh, deserving of good things very often. And it's like, man, and, and especially for many of us, when we have essentially pretty much everything we need taken care of, the things that I would be asking for are kind of really supplemental luxury things. And so then our brain, like God's like, I'll give you what you want. And since most of the things that we want very often are not on the basic level, they're on the luxury level our brain goes to is, is God out to give me luxurious things. But I think it's important for us to know who Jesus was talking to. As he's talking to kind of the, the underprivileged, the, the underserved people, these poor people in first century uh, Jerusalem and first century Israel, occupied by the Roman government. So they're completely poor. They are an oppressed people. And religiously, they had been taught that there were a lot of obstacles between them and real access to God. 
you're not good enough, you're not spiritual enough, you're not doing the right things. You have to go through this priest. You have to ask people to access God for you. You do not have access. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's trying to inspire a group of people who do not believe that they have real access to God. Hey, ask. He's like a good, he's like a good dad. Like you're, you're, you're ter- I mean, it's interesting he says this, you're evil, but you're not going to give your kid a snake when he asks for food. You're not going to give him a rock when he asks for food. And if, if that's how you are, just imagine how God is. And he is trying to inspire people to believe in a God that, hey, when you pray, he hears. And it's not just that he hears, it moves his heart and will ultimately move his hands because he wants to give good gifts. Now, Jesus has a different message that we could look at at a different time that he gives to Pharisees, people who believe that they have some special privilege and special idea, some special place. And they see, and Jesus describes them this way. He says, and when they get together to pray, when they come out to pray, they pray out in front of everybody and they see things like, God, I just thank you that you think I'm awesome, as awesome as I think I'm awesome. And I'm, that I'm not like this guy. I mean, look at him. And I thank you that you hear me and you always going to give me everything that I want because you know I'm great and I know I'm great and you're pretty great too. And, and Jesus is like, you think God hears that? You think God hears the prayer of the arrogant and the entitled? Well, he hears the prayer of the humble. But here he is talking to a group of people who are so humbled that they don't believe that they even have access. And I think that the thing that we have in common with them that we need to hear is there are some things that I think that have creeped into our minds, some ideas that we have that have caused us to believe that somehow our access to God is limited. That somehow that even though I may believe that God hears, that I believe, I don't I believe that God, the things that I say really are going to hit the heart of God and ultimately move the hands of God. And so we're going to talk about those things today that I think that Jesus is drawing out as he's trying to inspire um, these people, his people to, to, to connect with God through prayer. And the first one, this is going to sound very simple, kind of, you know, you know, basic level, entry level Christian God thought. But I think there is a depth here that I need to make sure that I think that we understand. And the first thing, because I think the big picture idea that Jesus is trying to get across is that God is good. God is, God is good. And I know that may sound really simple, but I want to make sure that you understand the difference. When Jesus is saying that God is good, he is saying something different than if I were to say God is pure that God is morally perfect. Because there's a difference between being pure, I don't make mistakes. There's a difference between perfect and I don't make mistakes, I don't sin, I'm sinless. There's a difference between what we think of as someone being perfect and someone being good. When Jesus is saying he's good, he's not saying that God is perfect. Obviously God is perfect, but that's not the thing that he emphasizes. Because I think that sometimes that's what our problem is. Like, God's good. And you think, oh my, God's good. Then I don't know if I have anything to do with him. And I was like, man, this person over here, and they're perfect. You should go talk to them. Like, I, I, talk to some, I can't talk to somebody like that because I'm, I'm going I'm to say a bad word. 
I'm going to say a bad word, and then I don't, I don't want me to taint them. Or, or we think of perfect people as, as, as being judgmental, right? We just we think of them this way. Like sometimes I get, I get uncomfortable a little bit about people who are just like super nice. It's like they're so nice that they don't seem real. And I'm just like, how, how, how are you so nice? Like, and so you just kind of get a little, there's some things about people that can get, it can be a little intimidating. And I think we put God in that category because of his perfection, because of his bigness, because of his God status, we put him up here and we think, I really can't approach that. But this is why Jesus is emphasizing his goodness in the sense of God wants to do good. I want good things for you. I do good things. It's not just I have the absence of immorality that I don't do bad things. God is good and that he is wanting to do good for you. And I think that is important. I think we need to give more energy and thought to the idea of God as being good and interested in your good, as being someone who thinks, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more am, is God, who is crazy good, is he going to want to give good? So rather than allowing his perfection to intimidate us or to isolate us, let it draw us into him because we believe that he is good. But there's a couple of other challenges that I think that we have. So what Jesus is saying here is that God is a good God. And so if you'll ask him, he'll do things. And I think there are some disconnects that we have that really keep us from really believing, making that connection. Maybe I can believe that God is good, but that's not the same as God will do the things that I ask him to. So over the course of the next couple of minutes, we're going to kind of use a couple of, you know, $5 words here, but I promise I will define them for you. And so one of them comes up here in this point. The first thing is that God is good. And the second one is this, is that we reject fatalism and abandonment. Now, when I use the word fatalism, I want you to hear what, what, what I mean by that. Fatalism is the idea that, 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 that just that believe in fate. What's going to happen is going to happen. And, and, that, and that somehow, like, it doesn't really matter. And so you can kind of get into this kind of hopeless spiral sometimes. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what God does. It doesn't matter anybody. The stuff that's going to happen is going to happen. The world somehow is just kind of set in motion. And I don't have any influence over it. God doesn't have any influence. It's terrible. It's always going to be terrible. If it's good, it's going to be good. There isn't anything I can do about it. So I'm just going to live my life. And, and I think too often that comes out of a disappointment that happens where you tried to influence something personally or maybe you asked God to influence something and it didn't. And so you kind of surrender to this idea then that the world is set, the future is set, my fate is set. And, you know, and if I were to ask you theologically, do you believe in fate over God? No, oh, I believe in God. But I think too often we, we, we really lose this sense that somehow it is possible for things to change and that I can access God and that what I do, what I say, and what God does, it can have influence. Or maybe we think that God has just abandoned us, that God could, God could do something, but he's not really going to. 
And so then often then we have a different idea, not necessarily believe that, that, that fate has kind of set it for us, that whatever is going to happen, whatever really good thing is going to happen is completely and totally up to me. God doesn't care. God doesn't, God doesn't really care. I've got, to, I've got to, what I need, what I want, what's good for me, I have to make that happen. And here's your second $5 word for the day. And I think what this makes us is our functional deists. You want to write that down, seem really smart, you can write that down. Functional deist. What is a deist, you might say? Well, a theist is someone who believes in a God that is active, that a God that does stuff, a God that looks, created the universe and looks at it and says, I like this and I want to help and I'm going to be involved in some way. Then an atheist is someone who does not believe in a God at all. Atheist, right? A deist is a little bit different. A deist believes that a God exists, created the universe, but has other things to do. Has essentially got other God business to tend to and is not really particularly interested in what is going on in the lives of people. That because he's God and he's so different, he's so big, and he's like, he just kind of created this just for whatever and now we're kind of left to our own and God's not really that interested. Now you may think, well, I don't believe that. I know, I know, probably no Probably no one here really believes that, but I say, when I say functionally we're that, what I mean is we live our lives as if that's true. We live our lives as if, um, yeah, God's, God's, God's not really, God's really not that interested. Like, it's really honest, it's kind of arrogant, really. I mean, is it kind of arrogant? Like, you got God, you got, you got the God of the universe, right? He's like, he's like spinning galaxies, right? You know, he's like, directing comets. He's got, you know, he's got uh, all sorts of big pictures. I mean, the universe is vast, like this big, giant, vast universe. And somehow God, God cares whether or not I get this job or not. I mean, come on. God's got, God's got bigger things to do. Hey, make sure the sun keeps sunning, okay? Just you do your God stuff and I'll make sure I get the job. You keep the earth spinning, and, and I'll, 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 I'll find some way to make sure that we have enough resources to, to pay for things. I'll, 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 I'll make sure, I'll, I, you know, I, it's up to me to, to restore this relationship. I've got to fix this. I've got to change this. I've got to do this. I've got to, because I know you've got bigger, bigger things to do. You've got, you've got bigger things going on. Or somehow we think, you know, that like, 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 I mean, he's God and like, God's going to do what God's going to do. God's going to do what he's going to do. This is his plan. And I come up with my prayer. God, I wish you would do this. And you're like, oh, man, that's real cute. That was real sweet. That's really cool that you thought that I cared. Here's what I think is important. And we're going to put it on this side of the scale. And we're going to take your little puny, stupid little human idea. And we're going to put it over here. And like, oh, I win again. I win again. No, next, better luck next time. Sport, right? And, and so then again, functionally, I don't believe in a God that can be influenced. And again, very often, this is birthed out of heartbreak, of a time when God didn't show up. And, and, and these, these things are real and these things need to be processed, but what we can't allow it to do is allow it to move us off the basic idea of that there is a good God who has said he will do good things for us when we ask. 
you know, in a, in a, in a fairly small way. I kind of had my own functional deistic kind of issue over the last couple of weeks. Because, I mean, I've got a lot of, I, I can be really opinionated and strong, but at the same time, you know, got a lot of people pleaser in me, and I'm like, you just think about, like, like I just think about, like, kind of where we've been over the last couple of weeks with COVID and the mass, and I think, man, I know that there are some people out there that are probably upset with us for not having reinstituted policies, and so maybe we should, maybe we should change them, and you think, well, if I change them, then the people who weren't mad at me are, are, are going to be mad at me, and the people who are, it's just going to switch, and it just feels like there's, there's, just, there's just nothing I can do, and there's like, no matter what I do, the situation is hopeless, and people are going to be mad at me, and it's just going to cause more controversy and problems, and it's like, I just can't with this, and I start feeling all this anxiety, and so there was a point this week where I was like, I just can't think about this anymore, so I said, I'm just going to pull out my sermon notes. And this is a completely and totally unrelatable story because this doesn't happen to anybody else because no one else has sermon notes. <laughs> so I pull out my sermon notes for this Sunday and I look again over this passage that says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. I considered this, this idea hopeless because I couldn't come up with the thing that made the most sense, that seemed best, that seemed right. And so I just found myself having given up. And it had, apparently it had, not, it had not crossed my mind in that moment. God, what do you think we should do? What do, you, what do you think that we should do? And I'm not saying that this is why this happened. I'm just saying at least for me and my moment, God let the Fayetteville City Council and that judge in Little Rock, they made the decision for us. It's like, thank you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, there's still obviously things that we have to do and decisions that we have to make, but there was just, there was a, there was a smoothing of the path. There was a, there was a sending. There was an ask and, and, and seek and I'll find, not and the door will be open. And this happens and this happens when we, when we quiet our own anxiety and we quiet our own sense of control and we allow God access and we, and, and we give God our concerns and we take them to him because these are, these, are, these, are, these are three distinct amazing promises. And I think it's important for us when it says, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open, that we understand that we don't clump these things together because there are three very distinct things that God is promising here. And the first one is ask. If you ask, God will give. If you seek, God will send answers. If you knock, God will remove the obstacles. Now what all those things have in common is you're essentially coming to God in some way and he's giving something to you. But these are three different things that I think that we need to make sure that we are putting into our lives that this is a good God that when I ask him, his heart is inclined to give. Again, sure, and again, this is part of that podcast, sure, sometimes gonna, God's gonna have a different plan, a different idea, but his heart, his heart is he wants to be the fun parent. He wants to be the yes parent. That is his heart. That doesn't mean he's gonna give you everything you want because most of the things, a lot of things you want are bad. He wouldn't give them to you. It's ridiculous. It would make him a bad parent to give you some of the things that you think that you want. But we need to trust that his heart 
is as a giver. And then seek and you will find. I mean, there's so much like we're just looking for direction. We're looking for, for, for the future. Who am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And there's a sense here where there's not even an, seek is not the same as asking, but just a heart that says, I want to pursue God's best for me. It says that he will, you'll find it. You seek with a heart that says, God, I know you want my best. I'm gonna pursue your best. I'm gonna look and, and, and I'll find it. Because this is what God will do. He says, and if you've got something that's holding you back, some obstacle in your path, just knock and the door will be opened. The clearing of the path, the direction, the giving of the things that you need, these are the things that God has promised us. And again, I think that our, our belief in fate, the, the abandonment that we often feel from the past or from a hurt can really keep us from trusting and believing and really seeking, knocking and asking. These people lived in a world where they believed that they didn't have access to God. And this Jesus is saying, hey, listen, no, you can, you can. And then he sacrifices his life and comes back to life through the resurrection to ensure that every one of us could have access to God if we put our faith and trust in him. And every one of us here, there's things that we need. There's answers that we're seeking and there's obstacles holding us back from being and doing what God has called us to be. And Jesus says, just ask, just seek, just knock. And you will receive, you will find, and it will be opened.